listening to My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Each episode, we look at the topics that can make our working lives difficult and explore how you can take action to improve things. We want to help you move from simply surviving work to thriving at work. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of workplace psychologists who are experts in coaching, training, and structured development programs. You can find out more about how we help people grow and develop at work by visiting our website, worklifepsych.com. Hello and welcome to episode number 46 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Richard McKinnon and I'm delighted to be rejoined by my co-host Pilar Ortiz. Hi Pilar. Hello Richard, it's been a while. It's been a little while. We've been busy and we've had some holidays and some other stuff, <laughs> but we're, we're back now. Uh, holidays are over. <laughs> the summer uh, is always a, a, an interesting time. I'm still about to go away again. You know that. <laughs> I did not know that. Okay, well, that's good to know. <laughs> lucky you, lucky you. I've mentally adjusted that the summer's over. I've just been for a run and it was quite nippy outside. So I'm, I'm now in the headspace of we're, we're in the autumn. Yes. Um, it's good to have you back. How have you been? Yeah, good. And I did enjoy listening to the episodes that you recorded. I was going to turn your own, but of course, one of them, you had a, a wonderful guest. So, and, uh, and I was, I was gutted. I couldn't join you for the episode about your phone. So listeners, if you <laughs> haven't listened to that, I'm not going to spoil it. I think it's well worth going in and not knowing quite what happens. Um, but I found that really interesting about uh, your, your relationship with your phone. Have you had any more thoughts since you recorded that? I think that episode was was part podcast, part therapy, to be honest. Uh, I, you know, I did, in, in all seriousness, end up having quite a bit of thinking about what it was like not to have a phone at, you know, within reach. And I suppose, you know, again, to reiterate, noticing how much I would automatically reach for it, not to use it, but maybe out of boredom or reach for it purely out of habit because, you know, I was sitting down, so I, I might as well look at my phone. So it was a nice experience in the sense of I learned something from it. It was definitely not a nice experience not to be able to use it when I needed it. I suppose since I've, um, I, I've been trying to focus on using it with intent. So do I need to use the phone right now? Uh, and actually something we're going to cover in a future episode is using pen and paper a little bit more rather than reaching for a digital device, which is not like me at all. Mm. I like pen and paper, but I've replaced it with my e-paper tablet. You um, have your very snazzy tablet. Yeah. I'm very jealous of that. Which, which is just doesn't really connect to the internet, only just to, to uh, transfer the files. So it really is just like, yeah, it is a notebook, which is good and bad sometimes. But um, Well, yeah. that, that's the thing that I've been, I've been really made aware of when using digital devices. The, the double-edged sword of, of their multiple utilities, if you like. So I, I think everyone out there has had the experience of picking up their phone and then doing something with it and realizing, wait, that's not why I picked up the phone. I'm looking at you know, my email when what I really wanted to do was put something in my calendar. And because it can do so many things, you pick it up for one thing, you, you end up doing multiple things, and then you're kind of in a rat hole of, of device use. Whereas if you pick up a pen and a piece of paper, well, that's pretty much all you can do is just use it for that one thing. So it, it helps you focus on one thing at a time. 
does slow you down, but that's no bad thing either if you've got a busy mind. So I've been really doing that with intent over the last couple of months, actually. And I I think it'd be worth having a discussion about that on on a future episode to look at the pros and cons of that. But I suppose my big takeaway has been keeping the phone out of sight a lot more, keeping it in my pocket a lot more, just tucking it away so it's not something that I feel the need to to grab and start to use just out of habit, just automatically. Yeah, I noticed that uh, also that I pick up the phone sometimes and didn't know why. But when mm. I don't have it with me, like when I go walking, for example, I don't, if I just go for an hour walk, I don't take my phone and uh, then I don't miss it. I really don't miss it. However, when I was away, um, I, I, I lost my iPod, which is what I usually take mm. home for a walk. So I had to use my phone more also for podcasts. And also it was my only point of contact with the internet where I was. So I was really aware. And um, I think it's, yeah, it's mainly that it's what you're saying that my whole life is in there. That's where I get all my news. All the exciting stuff happens in my phone. So no wonder I'm always reaching out for it. (laughs) Exactly. If it was a phone that just made phone calls, we'd have a very different relationship with it, I think. Um, And there wouldn't be the the temptation or even just the automatic pilot of going straight into multiple things, you know, purely not not being focused, not being aware. And you just find yourself uh, in there, you know, something that... um, I've also tried to do because I, you know, I listen to podcasts a lot. I listen to music a lot while I'm out and about. I listen to audiobooks a lot when I'm out and about. And actually, I've got into the habit now of using my earphones to control what's happening on the phone, stop, start, volume, and just put the phone in in my bag. So it's not even, you know, within great, it would be quite awkward to get the phone, in other words. Um, and that, that's also quite useful, because then if I step in a lift, or if I, um, you know, on the tube, I'm not automatically getting the phone, because I'm still paying attention to the, the podcast or the audiobook, and I can still control it if I need to turn it off, uh, without getting the phone in my hand. Mm-hmm. That Yeah, it, it's so interesting when you start to be aware of it. Uh, and also, of course, I missed, uh, well, I wasn't there with you. I'm, I'm not usually there with you anyway when you're talking to guests, but uh, you had a guest, uh, Rodney Collins, I think he was, mm-hmm. and uh, talking about addiction. And I found that episode really um very thought-provoking and it really made me think about one addiction in the broadest uh, sense and also about the importance of context and not Mm. just when we're looking at addiction and how that can be um, uh, managed and changed but actually you've talked about this before in in this podcast about when we're changing behaviors we also have to look at the context in which we're operating so I thought that was a very powerful reminder I think so. I really enjoyed uh, speaking with him. And, you know, we've had a few conversations, he and I, just in general, about what we do. And and that's why I thought it would be so great to get him on on the podcast. I think um, for me, people might have questioned, why would we talk about that on this podcast? But, you know, my, my point would be, hey, when you're at work, you're, you're still the person you are when you're not at work. And so what's going on in your life is relevant to the workplace, especially if it's having a spillover effect on your experience of work or your performance at work or the way you treat others at work. And of course, it, it works in the other way too. You know, how work impacts you can impact you outside of, uh, of, of the workplace and you can take that out with you. And of course, the combination of those things or just one of those things 
can lead us to engage in behaviors that are just not helpful for us. And, and addictions are, are one category of that. But because they're so common, I think I would imagine a lot of people who listen to the episode could identify with it in, in one way or another. I think it was fascinating, and especially um, the point for me about how bonding with clients, for example, if you're someone who has to have a lot of interaction with clients, how their behavior can impact you and how that can draw you into even substance abuse sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and just just joining them, you know, for more drinks and another drink and another drink, and suddenly you, you're doing it with the intent of bonding with the client. But then that can have an impact, like you say, as you on you as a person outside of work also. Definitely. I've had discussions very similar to that in, in my own uh, work with, with clients where they feel a certain discomfort with the amount of socializing they have to do. Primarily, it's because it's easing into the time they have available for their own priorities. And yet there's an implied uh, belief that it's part of the job, in inverted commas. Mm. Even though they might do a full day in their workplace, is the expectation that the socializing is part of it. And a number of professions out there, it's associated with them. And, and that's something to navigate. There's no... Again, there's no easy answer to that, but it really, I think, requires us to reflect on how our behavior might be impacted by those things, how much agency we have, how much decision-making power we have, and to spot trends in our behavior Mm. and how these things um, have an impact on our well-being. Yeah, and one last point around that and also the impact on the well-being and how this might be affecting other people around us in the workplace. Um, Also, um, Rodney was saying about noticing if some behavior is changing with uh, in colleagues around you and how sometimes the addictions are not the ones you would expect. Um, like they're not the, maybe the big ones. And I was thinking, just going back also to the episode about the mobile phone, that, that even that kind of addiction, the addiction to reaching out for the phone can start to impact our relationships in the workplace also. It can uh, interfere with the face-to-face interactions. And of course, it can interfere with concentration. So, mm. yes, um, yeah. Absolutely. The, the sort of compulsive use of digital devices, the fear of missing out, um, and, and a, a context I come across a lot is, is clients who are compulsively checking their email outside of working hours because they're worried about what they're missing. And, you know, this is problematic when you don't have the kind of job where you are on call. You know, and, and the, the business is not going to fall over because you don't see one email in the evening, but the habit is one of, I need to keep looking. I need to keep looking. And of course, that impacts your outside of work relationships. It can impact your well being if it's disturbing your sleep. And it, it, if it's something you don't want to do, then it's something that, that needs to change. You know, if it's having a negative impact on your general satisfaction with your life, then it's something to, to face up to, to address. But what I found in having those conversations is people can feel it's quite silly. And what I mean by that is they feel, well, I should be able to just ignore this, but I can't. This is crazy. It's just a phone. Why can I not just leave it and put it down? And it's because they've built up this very strong habit. I I wouldn't say I've encountered addiction as such, but the very strong habit and the discomfort they can't deal with of not knowing what's going on. And so they 
continually dip into the phone just to check, just to check, just to check. And of course, as we just said, it's not just to check because then you're pulled into all of the other things on there. And then it's just another five minutes. And meanwhile, your significant other or your kids are in the room watching you going back to work. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's not helpful. And I'm, I'm being really clear that this is for the people who are not on call and it's not part of their job, but it's built up. And of course, other people can, you know, lead to that situation, particularly senior people. If they're doing that in the evening and they're emailing, we can believe that we should be doing it too. Hmm. And, you know, then you build up this culture of we're all messaging each other late at night. So, you know, I think there's, a, there's definitely a continuum here and, and addictions that are very, very harmful and have a negative impact are at one end. And then there's this sort of automatic behaviors and habits that we don't like and we wish we could shift way at the other end. And it's good to think about those before they become really problematic and have a terrible impact on us and the people we care about. So... Shall we go into some news as as we normally do? We've both gathered a few things to talk about. So let's have a look at um, what we've gathered for this episode. So let's start with productivity. I think we normally do, but I really need to check that. I'm not sure if we do these in the same order (laughs) each time. I think we do them as they occur to me. But anyway, um, I wanted to share uh, a great episode of a podcast I listened to a couple of weeks ago. And I'm conscious there's been a gap between episodes. So quite a few things have have gone on. This was an episode of the Mind 2.0 podcast, which I really like from NPR in the US. And um, it was all about deep work, this concept that's all about concentration and focus. It's kind of related to what we've been talking about, actually, with with using phones and and other digital devices. But the interview was with Cal Newport, who wrote the book Deep Work, which is a really interesting read, actually. He's um, a computer scientist, not, not a psychologist, but uh, his perspective, as the interviewer points out, is it's interesting for someone whose career is about computers, who's emphasizing the need to step away from the digital world to get deep work done and to notice how much our concentration is being impacted. Our capacity to focus is being impacted by our habits, by our environments and by the way work is organized at the moment, as in open plan offices, email culture, lots of interruptions. When you look at it, it it can be really quite difficult to get time and space to focus on what we're there to do. You know, the problem solving or the creativity or the, um, the work that requires great attention to detail. That's all made difficult. And that would all be in inverted commas, deep work. And, you know, building the skills, building the, the, the time to put your attention into things can often be quite difficult for people. I really recommend that, that episode. And of course, as ever, we'll have the link in, in the show notes. It's not a particularly long episode, but I think they've edited it really well. The Mind 2.0 podcast really is edited down to the absolute essentials. So it's a a very good uh, one to subscribe to. Um, Is that one you've had a chance to listen to, Pilar? No, only the beginning of it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I did hear, I think it was a, maybe it was a TED talk with him. Um, Mm. Not a a TED talk, not the video, but the podcast or the longer form. Uh, Or maybe it was a, a hurry slowly. (laughs) <laughs> the other podcast I listened to. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes, for me, the reflection is always uh, what I notice is that 
I am the biggest um I'm the biggest barrier between my <laughs> between me and deep work because it's uh, I don't have any notifications on my um on my desktop so that if someone emails me or slacks me or whatever it's usually everything is usually closed but I will go and check for that uh, fear of missing out and that excitement mm-hmm. and especially if the work is hard it's almost like subconsciously you go this is hard what can i do that's <laughs> a bit more fun and uh, so i think that awareness of when other stuff that can wait is getting in the way of stuff that really needs a deep attention i think that's the the key message for me it's i, I think a, a major issue in the modern workplace whatever your workplace is I think there's a good chance there's many distractions now built into it. Um even if it's not distractions from other people in the space you're in, the physical space, there are many ways that you can be led away from where your attention could best be placed. Um and it's really interesting actually the the other point I was going to make around this this productivity news piece was I I did a half day workshop in Dublin earlier this week with some brand new graduates on a, a graduate development program that we contribute to and it was a half day session on the essentials of productivity and that's quite an ask uh, because, <laughs> because if you recall all of the episodes we've done before about principles of of being productive so we cut it down to some you know essentials to get them started um but one of the things that we talked about was the n- distractions and where they come from and typically when well, we did a little where do you think distractions come from discussion and so many of the things they identified were these things in the environment noise people asking you questions you know those things that that occur to you what we what they didn't and i w- i would expect this what they didn't come up with was how we distract ourselves mm-hmm. so we divide our attention we go after the you know little blinking lights in front of us with the notifications we worry ourselves and upset ourselves um we don't deal well with our boredom or monotony and so we go after something more interesting to do so all of these things are also key skills regardless of what your environment is like even if it was zen like yeah. you may well distract yourself and i think it's important to reflect that distractions are both external and internal we also did a had a really nice discussion actually about the, how it's useful to complement both looking at the systems of work so the habits maybe it could be good use of checklists maybe it could be about how the day is organized that kind of systemic approach to to getting your work done um the systems that could be replicated or taught to someone else but also how you think about work your mindset and so we explored how you know if if you want to deal with procrastination it can be really good to break um work up into very small steps to give you a sense of achievement but it can also be useful to reflect on why am i tempted to procrastinate about this in the first place what is it i'm trying to avoid can i be honest with myself and that was just one one small example so i think in a half day i think i managed to leave them with the um awareness that it's not just stuff that's external to you it's internal to you reflect on how you contribute to your own success and productivity but also how you might talk yourself out of focus or distract yourself or convince yourself that this can wait till tomorrow 
As you were talking about uh, about this and imagining this image of zooming in and out, in and out all the time when we're looking at problems or solving issues all the time. So what's going on inside us? What's going on outside us? What's going on in, you know, what should we do about detail? What should we do about big pictures? Really, yeah, mm. really interesting. And getting stuck at one of those levels isn't really that helpful. You know, if, we, if we're just focusing on the really small tasks that help us feel good, um, we're forgetting about the why we're doing it in the first place. But of course, if you get stuck at this conceptual strategic level, then it may prevent us from making progress. So the self-awareness piece, I think, is is quite important. You know, you, you talked about how you're aware of how you organize yourself and what you may be tempted to do when you're working. Um, I was asked about this in, in the workshop and I was very clear. <laughs> I am not your role model. Please <laughs> do not take anything I answer as being what you should do. But my self-awareness is that uh, one aspect of that I've realized over the years is that it's very um, unhelpful of me to block out a day to work on a on a task. Yeah. So for example, if I've got a workshop to, to create, I, I don't any longer say, oh, I'm going to use Thursday for that, because I know that I will not get as much done on that day that I could get in a half day if I focused, or even a series of two hour slots across a week, I get far more done. So maybe that speaks to my very poor attention span. But what I do know about myself is I like to work in sprints. Mm -hmm. So today, we're recording this on a Friday, when we're done here, I'm going to take a little bit of a break and then I'm going to dive into some workshop design. But I'm just going to do that in, in 30 minute slots, um, doing other things in between. Because if I just sit in front of my iMac here, you know, <laughs> trying to do it all in one go, I know I will procrastinate. I will start other things. So, you know, th that that works for me. It may not work for you, but at least reflecting on what distracts you and how do you do your best work is a great start. In terms of effectiveness news, um, we've talked uh, a little bit before and you've probably heard the ads on, on the podcast all about our coach on campus solution. So I've just had uh, one of the programs I'm running in Dublin extended uh, across 2020. So I would take it that that's been working well uh, for that particular client. But what's been really nice has been my reflections and their reflection has been that I think we've we've helped normalize coaching as a development activity in the firm. Many more people are putting their hands up. And because I run a webinar that people can dial into in advance of signing up for coaching, they get a really good understanding of what coaching is and what it's not and how to get the best from coaching. And so when uh, employees inside the firm turn up for a, a coaching session, it might be their one and only, it might be their first of three, whatever it is, we can hit the ground running and make really good use of that hour. We're on the same page. And what I've noticed in, in the last few months of working across the different Coach on Campus programs that I'm running at the moment is that um, you can get, a, one, you can get a lot done in an hour, an enormous amount done in an hour, especially if someone thinks this might be the only coaching session I'm going to attend. And secondly, you can have real impact on someone with just one or two coaching sessions. So it might be that the assumption that we're going to have six meetings might make us a little bit lazy. I don't know. We <laughs> might sort of look at the, the time ahead of us and, and really relax into it when 
when you've got this focus, you think, well, what can we get done here? What are you going to decide? How are you going to do it? What's going to get in your way? That kind of punchy coaching. Um, so it, it's something that I really enjoy, but I think people are getting a lot out of it in these in these different environments. So if you want to know more about that, you can look, we've got a page on the website, worklifepsych.com slash coach on campus. I think you should trademark the term punchy coaching. <laughs> 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 I, I don't think coaching needs any more, more um, brand, more brand names. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's too confusing for people anyway. It really is. Um, I think, but it, it it it's funny that actually because one of the things I, I emphasize in, in webinars before starting a, a coaching program is differentiating coaching from from other things like mentoring and counseling. And, and management, full stop, so that you're able to see what, what have they got in common, but really how they're very different activities. So we are on the same page and the focus is on what the focus is going to be on for, you know, for a coaching context. Yeah, that's brilliant. Having that uh, up front so that everyone understands what uh, what you mean by coaching and that everyone understands it in the same way. I'm sure that not everyone is doing that. Um, Definitely. Listeners, uh, episodes 41, well, 40 and 41 are all about coaching. Uh, does coaching work and what is a coaching culture? So if you want a little bit more around this, then have a listen, 40 and 41. In well-being news, I wanted to share um, a, a book I'm reading at the moment. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it's called In Praise of Walking by uh, Professor Shane O'Mara from Trinity College, Dublin. I think I mentioned Shane on a previous episode where we talked a little bit about the CIPD Northern Ireland conference that I mm. spoke on. And he did a great job of busting a few myths about the brain and, and about behavior uh, in a really entertaining way and very impactful way, which you could tell by the gasps in the audience. But um, I, Shane taught me when I was an undergrad at uh, Trinity. So I've, I've known of him, known him for, for quite some time, but it was really nice to reconnect. And he mentioned in his presentation in Belfast that he had been working on this book about the psychology and the well-being and the neurology of walking. And my first thought was, really? <laughs> A book about walking? But then he elaborated it on, and, and I, I really wanted to know more about it. So it's been released. I've been listening to it. I got the audio book, so I have the experience of listening to a book about walking while I'm walking <laughs> to the office. Um, it makes you very aware of how you walk and why you're walking. It's been very motivating. The uh, evidence for the well-being impact of, you know, 30 minutes walking per day is very, very strong. But he starts with how we learn to walk, why we walk, how our upright posture uh, has enabled us as a species to do so much. It, it's really interesting. So the good news is I reached out to Shane, told him I was enjoying the book. And then I asked him, would you come on the podcast? Uh, he agreed. So I'm going to interview him when I'm in Dublin. I'm going to pop into Trinity, uh, interview him and, and uh, share that interview on, on a future episode because uh, he's, he's a great communicator and he makes a really compelling argument for all of us moving around a little bit more. Indeed, one of the points in the book is just standing up at work enables us to think differently and to be more creative because for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us at work, it's quite sedentary. 
And unless someone tells us, we might find ourselves sitting down for many hours during the day. So the reminder to get up, move around, it's a very positive one. And getting in those, those walks during the day、uh, really contributes to our well being in a holistic way. I don't want to ruin the rest of the book. I'd encourage people to have a look at it、um, or, or wait till you hear the podcast and see if you're then convinced. But that, that's going to be a, an upcoming episode with Professor Shane O'Mara. I look forward to it. Now, you had a, a, a story you wanted to share with us about food. Yes, it's, it's another podcast episode. So it's a very different. I don't,、uh, I don't know whether listeners will have any interest in the podcast itself, in the show itself. It's from the Extraordinary Business Book Club. But I thought it'd be interesting because this particular episode was with Colette Hennigan, who's written a book with the productivity ninja Graham Alcott.、Uh, oh, he's、yeah. written a series of books. I haven't read them,、um, but I, I listen to this、uh, show a lot. And what I thought is so, this is all about food and what we eat and paying attention. To what we eat, even just being aware and being, again, deliberate around it. And I thought, we talk a lot, we especially on this show, about the importance of sleep, but、mm. we rarely hear, and also out there, not just here,、uh, we rarely hear conversations around food and、mm. the impact that、uh, work can have on food, that food can have on work, on our health. And really interesting what. what The moment when I thought I must share this with Richard and listeners was that it was the moment that、uh, Graham Alcott had to take pictures of what he was eating and start to be aware of what he was eating, that、mm. the big revelations came. So,、um, so the, the, the podcast is all about how Colette started to work with Graham and then they wrote the book together, but she first started coaching him.、Um, and I thought, yeah. <laughs> that even just that awareness, just taking that picture and going, hang on, is this, is, this is it. And so I thought I'd bring it to, to your attention. <laughs> I'm, I'm really looking forward to listening to that. I haven't had a chance to listen to it since、uh, you shared it, but it, it makes absolute sense that I'm, I'm definitely not a dietitian. I am not a, a food specialist. But even as you said, To start becoming more aware of what it is we're eating and the impact that the food has on us, self awareness is a, is a great first step. Because one of the problems is, like phone use, it can be automatic,、yeah. it can be habitual without us really realizing we're reaching for something and we're having it, or, or simply we're eating in a、uh, non mindful way. So it's just a process of getting stuff into us rather than enjoying it、yeah. or noticing how much. That we're having.、Um, I, as soon as I saw this link, I, I began to think about all the conferences I've gone to and all of the、uh, leadership programs and management programs I've run in hotels where you find、uh, I've doubled my calorie intake today <laughs> just because of the food that's around.、Yeah. It's buffets, it's breaks, it's, it's all around. Where if I was at home, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't set up a buffet for myself at midday and just graze. Yet, It's there in front of us. The context says, you know, eat me.、Um, and it takes a, quite a bit of self control not, not to, to join in. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I hope,、uh, listeners, that,、uh, that it's interesting. Again, it's the Extraordinary, Extraordinary Business Book Club. And、uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. At Work Life Psych, we believe that coaching is for everyone. 
And so we have created a cost-efficient, flexible and impactful solution we call Coach on Campus. This means coaching can be made available to more junior employees, emerging talent and technical specialists within the organization without incurring the cost or commitment of executive coaching packages. A work life psych coach is based on the client's site on a regular day each month with a schedule that is dedicated to that organization. We'll facilitate six one-hour-long coaching sessions throughout the day. To find out more, visit worklifepsych.com slash coachoncampus. So let's turn to uh, our main topic today, <laughs> I suppose, Yay. which is, um, well, we're five years old this month. Happy birthday, Work Life Psych! Happy birthday, Work Life Psych. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I will be really honest, this only occurred to me a few weeks ago because this wasn't <laughs> this wasn't in my calendar. I didn't have a reminder. I was actually on holidays. Uh, so I think, as I said on the last podcast, I was getting ready to leave to go to Japan. And it was while I was there, I was doing some sort of planning for the the, the remainder of the year, just looking ahead and getting a feel for what I'd already committed to. And I thought, hold on, it was five years ago that I dot, dot, dot. So I began to think about it and I thought, listen, let's mark it. Uh, it's not going to go down in history, but let's us, let's, let's mark it and, and have a bit of time to reflect. So that's what I did by myself. I reflected on how the last five years have been. And I thought it would be good if we could have a chat about that and reflect a little bit. I've put some of my thoughts in a, in a blog post about being five years in to the business. And um, before we go any further, it's probably worth pointing out, shameless plug, if anyone books any solutions with the business in the month of September 2019, because I'm conscious you might not be listening to it in 2019, <laughs> in September 2019, work that's confirmed, I will give a 5% discount to celebrate five years of work life psych. I love that. <laughs> that might focus attention <laughs> when people are looking at budgets. <laughs> <laughs> what about if you're listening to it in 2024? Do you get a 10%? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Too much. <laughs> Oh. No, thanks, Pilar. I, I can imagine my my uh, my accountant having palpitations <laughs> hearing hearing you say that. Uh, hey, let's see. Ten years might be, you know. I think even a bigger celebration, yes. but let, let's let's see where we are at the end of uh, September 2019. Yeah. So I thought we could maybe have a chat uh, about how it's been. Um, you could maybe get a bit nosy. Well, definitely. <laughs> I am dying to hear. And listeners, you know what? I'm going to invite you. Of course, you can't contribute to this episode, but I'm going to invite you if after today's conversation, you still have some questions for Richard about his journey uh, during, well, his journey over the last five years, send them through. <laughs> you can get nosy too. So uh, worklifepsych.com, there's a contact form there. I think um, my first uh, question is going to be, because I am very nosy and I I am going to ask you about why you set it up and also why you decided to become an occupational psychologist and what have you learned. But my first question is going to be, when you were in Japan and you realized it's been five years, how did you feel? Uh, surprised, um, a bit proud, a bit where have that where's the time gone i think which is a human thing that's been a very fast 5 years and i re i realized that 5 years ago in the 
at the same time of the year. I was also in Japan <gasps> thinking about, I'm just about to go out on my own. So it was quite a nice echo、uh, in time, if you like. And it, it, overall, it was, a nice, it was a nice feeling. Okay, so let's then let's, let's unpack that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so let's start with、uh, your profession. So, how come you became an occupational psychologist? And then we'll hear about when you went off on your own to set up Work Life Site. Well, I, I think, like everyone who works in this profession, I didn't grow up saying one day, I want to be an occupational psychologist because I didn't know what that was. Like most people, I didn't know that psychologists worked in the workplace. And I think, like most people, my, my idea of a psychologist was somehow mixed in with psychiatry. And I just imagined therapy. And、uh, I, didn't, I didn't really have an interest in that. But I, I, I was really、um, bought into the idea of learning more about people. And that's why I did my, my undergraduate degree. And, and I was still in Dublin at the time. And one of the、uh, people who had a real sort of impact on me was, was one of the lecturers who, who、um, took us through a couple of modules on what was called work psychology. And that's when I began to think that while I had been under a bit of pressure myself to make decisions about well, what are you going to do when you finish this degree, you're going to have to pick some training, postgraduate training, which route are you going to go? And I'd heard. So many horror stories about the different routes, no one had mentioned this option in, in, in great detail. And I began to think this sounds really interesting, you know, because pe- people are at work all over the place and there's lots of different kinds of work. And I particularly liked back then this notion of measurement of work and、uh, ergonomics and、uh, safe work and designing good work, you know, job design and stuff like that. So,、um, The, the seed was planted at that point, but it wasn't until、um, I'd left and I'd moved to the UK that I was absolutely 100%. Yes, I'm going to go down this route, apply to do the master's and all of that. And I think, like a lot of postgraduate students in this space, I indeed changed my views of what the, pression, the, the profession was like once I started the training. Because you get such a, a, a deeper insight into what is done and what's not done. And then you meet more practitioners and they come in and they do talks. And then you really realize this is what it's like and this is how it's different to the other,、um, the other areas. So I suppose the bottom line would be it's such a part of human experience that I really wanted to, to learn more about it and do something good in that space. Mm-hmm. And, and this was pre internet days, I imagine, or pre internet experience. You're aging me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had the internet as a student, as an undergrad.、Um, but yes, I mean, it, it was before you know, the digital economy, it was before、um, all of these、uh, startups, and、uh, it, it was a very different world. The world of work was very、mm. different when I went into full time employment. Absolutely. Yeah. So, when about, so what was a little bit your, your, your journey then from training as an occupational psychologist to then setting up? Work life psych? So, th- this is、um, something that、uh, maybe master's students right now might be really annoyed to hear, but I got a job straight out of my, my master's degree. And that's very unusual. And I, I went to go and work for Royal Mail Group. And they used to have an internal consultancy which consisted of statisticians, operational researchers, and occupational psychologists, all looking at the experience of work. Across the, the Royal Mail Group. And it was the most fantastic place to learn about workplaces because the workplaces were so varied. 
And there, what, there definitely wasn't this bias towards office-based work um, that we've spoken about before. It was very much people, you know, lifting, carrying, sorting, um, dealing with uh, tough environments outside, harsh weather, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. Very varied work. So I learned a lot about job design. I learned a lot about human factors. I learned a lot about uh, people's satisfaction and motivation in the workplace because of the work that we did. Um, after that, I worked for a little while in uh, the Psychometric Center, which was then at uh, City University. I moved on to uh, a consultancy, then another consultancy. Uh, and I suppose that that was, you know, um, Talent Q, where I was working in the space of um, uh, psychometric assessment. But I, I started a uh, learning and development solutions um element in the business, uh, offering coaching, development programs, that kind of thing alongside the assessment process. And I think it was probably when I when I was there that I really realized that of all the things I can do, the stuff I love doing, the stuff I really get satisfaction from is helping people develop. And that was when I suppose the spark uh, of an idea, of a thought came along that if I could do this all the time, mm -hmm. Oh, I think I'd really, really like that. Excellent. So we're starting to get into the why then. So was that it? Was it the fact that you found an opportunity to focus for most of the time? Because let's remember that running a business also needs a yeah. lot of other stuff that is not your your, your <laughs> core profession. Um, yeah. So yeah. Or your strength. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah. that's why you build a business, so not solo, so you can bring in others. Um, so yeah. Well, yeah, and that, that's that's definitely worth underlining. You know, it's a team, so it's not just it's not just me, and that that's one of the great things about working with with other people um you get the benefit of their expertise their experience but also moral support you know which is really useful um yeah you know let's just put it down to events things changed in in my environment the business changed and i thought if i don't do this now i may not do this for a very long time and uh so i thought let, let's let's do it let's set it up let's make the change and and it was a bit of a fuzzy Uh, change in that it happened over about six months because I, I left the business I was in, but I agreed to help finish off some things. So it was a, a nice slow transition through to the September of that year. And I went away on a holiday and came back and then it was the September. So that was a quite, quite nice reset. But it was about, I want to work in people development. I want to do it in a way I would like to do it, uh, infused with science and evidence. And I'd really like to, to make a difference to people's working lives. Mm -hmm. And what did you enjoy most about setting it up and the idea of setting it up? And also what have you enjoyed most over the last uh, five years? What I enjoyed most about setting it up was possibly one of the things that could have delayed setting it up. <laughs> I loved researching oh, yes. how I would do things. <laughs> and I loved re thinking about communications and marketing and branding and all that stuff. And there was a real risk I was going to go down a rat hole of that and not make any progress. So in, in the end, there was a bit of pragmatism. I set myself a deadline and went, look, it's going to be by then. Just let's go with what we have by then. Um, but what I've enjoyed most out of all my experiences over the last five years, I have to say, is when I've been sitting in a room with someone in a coaching context and they've had a bit of a light bulb moment 
about their own life at work. And that is the most rewarding thing when someone realizes, oh, I can make that change or, oh, I've been holding myself back, not anybody else. Whatever it is, the light bulb moment of realization and you think we can make some progress and they leave the room looking at things really differently. That, that is far and away the thing I most enjoy. It's the most rewarding thing. It definitely doesn't happen on a daily basis, but that, that stands out for me. And that's really great because that was the reason why you set the business up, <laughs> to have those interactions. Yeah, yeah, that and autonomy. You know, it's yes. a big driver for me uh, to be my own. I don't like to be my own boss, but to make decisions without having to go through layers and sign off and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And you said at the beginning to be able to uh, run the business and actually practice in a way that suits you and with the people mm. that you want to be working with. That's always a part of autonomy too. Mm, yeah, mm. yeah, Absolutely. Okay. So uh, what, hmm, what else has been, uh, so what else has changed? actually, what has changed within your practice? I'm always very curious to see how the person who set up work-life psych is different or not to the person now. And also what has changed in, we talked earlier about context. Have you noticed any changes in how clients approach the work or even how this part of the, of, uh, the coaching industry or the consultancy industry around this has changed? So let's start with you first. I think you might want to ask other people around me <laughs> oh, <very good. laughs> uh, to see how have I changed. It might be much more obvious to other people. I think, um, you know, what's tough about doing this is that you can have self-doubt and you can wonder how well you're doing and you can get caught up with, you know, all kinds of disastrous predictions about what the next year is going to bring. Everybody I know personally who runs their own business has the same experience. So what, what I really don't like is when I find myself dipping into that kind of, oh no, will I be here this time next year? Which I think everyone has from time to time. But I think how I've changed is that I'm less worried about that. I'm not laissez-faire at all, but th that stuff doesn't bother me as much. And I try to work very hard at appreciating when things do go well and when you do get good feedback or you do have a success or you do land a new project and to really appreciate that and, and be grateful for that stuff. In fact, someone the other day um, laughed a little bit when I, I was talking about what I was noting in my gratitude journal and they, they sort of said well i thought you only talked about that <laughs> for other people i didn't think you did it yourself I thought, well i mean it works so i do it um it would be a little bit hypocritical to say guys this is magical and for for me not to to do it myself um i think i've i've uh focused a lot more on being pragmatic definitely as opposed to gold standard everything all the time that, that's really not possible Um, and I, I have become a lot more realistic about what is doable in a given week, never mind a given day. So maybe maybe working at a more human pace. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's really great that you are that you. This is what you think about all the time for yourself, for the clients, how to how to be how to thrive at work, and uh, it's uh, yeah. Then you can then apply it. Of course, it's it's a great position to be in. Well, what, what's interesting is that, as I said to the, to the grads the other day, I'm not yes. the benchmark. I'm not your role model, you know, but, but 
what reminds me on a regular basis is when people say, uh, when clients say, oh, it must be great for you to be able to dot, dot, dot. Or oh, you must never have these challenges because you know about this. And, it, you know, of course I do. But I reflect on this and go, yeah, actually, I, there's a bit of an advantage there. <laughs> I do know about some of these things. So maybe I could, you know, work on it a little bit more. It, it's not the case that just because you know about something, you're never going to make those mistakes. But I've realized I could make more use of the knowledge and skills I have for myself and for the business so that it's less onerous. Uh, it's more fun, which is another reason I really want to work for myself. I want to have more fun. And I've definitely had more fun. Um, but it, it also doesn't mean that this is the best run, most economical, healthiest business that ever existed on the planet. Yeah. You know, that that's not really why I wanted to do it either. Mm-hmm. It's a continual learning thing. It really is. Yeah. I think I, I want to just extend that thought again to, to listeners about... Um, Going back to going, okay, what are my skills? What is it that I know that I might not be making the most use of uh, either at work or in personal life, I think? Because sometimes we also, as we're developing, we gain more skills and we gain more knowledge. And sometimes we don't even stop to say, okay, how can this help me? Um, And instead of just carrying on in the same way. So I think I just wanted to extend that. Um, no, I think it's a useful reflection that and how how do the skills I pick up at work help me in my personal life? Because yeah. often that's the case. There can be that positive spillover of what you've either learned about, you know, knowledge about the world or a specific skill like communication skills or, or, or confidence that you can bring into an activity in your private life. Mm. And what about the context, Richard? How have, mm. uh, how has, uh, I, I'll, I'll let you pick either the industry or approach from clients. How has that changed over the last five years? That's a, that's a tough one. I suppose, um, that's a really tough one, actually. I think that there's more the 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 people I work with potentially have a different view of what coaching is and how it can contribute to organizational success. Mm-hmm. It's getting more part of the the norm, uh, part of the this is the, the, these are things we do here. Um, I think there's definitely. And this depends on the sector, but going in and out of tough times so that you're know, trying to do more with less, mm. uh, this, this throwaway phrase, and, and that means it can have a knock-on effect on people. So I've been um, reflecting that in my emphasis on sustainable working styles, helping people be in it for the long haul and not just the next three months or six months. Um, th- this notion of well-being has really exploded, I would suggest, over the last five years that you know, people having well-being programs and well-being days and introducing activities into the workplace that maybe previously were considered private activities, like, well, like yoga, for example, or mindfulness, those being more in, in the workplace. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's what everyone should do or that that works everywhere. It's something I'm just noticing more of. There's more of an expectation that well-being will also be handled by the employer as well as the employee. Mm-hmm. And over the last uh, five years, uh, considering everything we've been talking about, uh, have you now got a typical day? <laughs> and has that changed? No. Uh, and I, <laughs> no one knows? That, that's, it, it's a good point because I don't want a typical day, which is a, another reason I, I like doing what I do. Um, 
you know, I'm not, um, you know, James Bond, no two days are the same, but, but I really love variety. So, you know, if I think about this week, um, I, I ran a half day workshop on, on productivity. I then hopped in a cab, went and, uh, had a couple of coaching sessions in an organization I work with in Dublin. Um, then the next day ran a whole day of coach on campus with an organization in Dublin, came home, then today we're doing this. Uh, I'm, I'm designing some uh, content for a management development program I'm running. Um, next week's going to be all about reconnecting with people I haven't been in touch with for a little bit and planning some more episodes here, planning some work together, um, some business development meetings. I mean, it's nice and varied. And I'm, what I've realized now is that I will, I've said it before, Pilar, I would be a terrible employee <laughs> from this point on because, you know, fitting in with other people's routines uh, in an organization, uh, it's a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and I'm definitely not a, a, a nine to five. I've, I've really flexed into when I think I'm productive and when I enjoy work and uh, counterintuitively, while, while I'm not best first thing in the morning, a little bit after that, I get really good stuff done. And so my treat to me has always been finishing the day earlier than most people because I'm not I'm not adding much value at the end of the day anyway. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of self-awareness that has, I imagine, well, it, it's probably, it probably came before the five years, but a lot of self-awareness about how you work best. And also I imagine a lot of... Um, how do you keep on top of all that stuff? Because, of course, I'm sure many listeners also are thinking, wow, that is very varied uh, and uh, there doesn't seem to be much routine in there. But is there some kind of routine or is there or how do you stay on top of the work? Well, I think if you ask people close to me, they, they say I, I could really work on the self-awareness. So, <laughs> okay. you know, it's not <laughs> I haven't ticked a box next to self-awareness and say done. You know, but um I think, you know, I think it's a, it's a very useful activity to reflect periodically and not just keep striving in the forward direction, but also reflect on how things have gone and how things could be slightly improved or how things have been achieved. And is there a, an easier way of achieving them? You know, I suppose at the very heart of this is my innate laziness to, to look for, is there an easier way to do this? Could I have done this with less pressure or less time or less running around and being a little bit frantic. So um, what I tr what I try and do is is um, plan ahead so that where possible, I'm not over committing in a given week. I try and look at weeks, not not individual days, so that if there is a kind of so, you know, yesterday I had six coaching sessions and a catch up with a client you know, midway through the day, what we did was we went for a walk together. We sat in the park and had our conversation there. So I got some blue sky and some fresh air and that, you know, that was good, but I had a flight last night and that was delayed. And I was really glad that, you know, I'd realized last week that keeping Friday with no client interaction and being able to work from my home office was was the win because if if I, I it wouldn't have been helpful to anyone to book another day of six coaching sessions today so knowing the limits of what i can do well or it not taking its toll on me so i, I look at things in the round and i try and identify the things i'm really looking forward to ironically for me that's often putting myself in a slightly pressurized situation by agreeing to do something that I'm really going to have to work hard at. Mm. Um, and then looking forward to that with a little bit of apprehension, a little bit of anxiety, but that I think improves 
performance. So that might be a speaking engagement, that might be facilitating um, other people doing something, and it might be reworking something I've created already. And definitely, I don't want to be an automatic pilot. I don't like to repeat the same thing over and over again. Uh, I think it keeps me a little bit more engaged, a little bit sharper. And I suppose that's, that's what is at the heart of this variety in my uh, in my routine well thank you for uh, uh, that's really insightful <laughs> you see listeners it's wonderful to be a co-host and to get the chance to <laughs> drill your uh, your co-host um, so listeners I'm going to offer again if you have any questions that you still want to ask Richard before I ask my last question so worklifepsych.com and the contact form is there and of course if you have any uh, feedback or anything else you'd like to say to us that is one good place to go to as well Richard, my last question has to be, what are you looking forward to over the next five years? More of the same. Um, I, I really like what I do. Um, and I know I'm really lucky uh, in that regard. So I'd like to do more of the same. I'd like to you know, help people develop skills that will help them navigate the workplace, help them grow, make decisions. So whether that's you know, doing a training course for a group of people or taking them through a development program or just as it has been for the last couple of years with people, maybe just getting an hour with them to help them map out a plan and provide some accountability, that, that can all make a difference. So I really enjoy that. I'd like to continue. I think I'm really enjoying our focus on, on productivity. Uh, I'm enjoying our focus on well-being and, and helping people just be more effective uh, at work in a sustainable way. I don't think I'm going to intentionally deviate from that in a big way. The world could change around us mm. <laughs> an awful lot, but I haven't got a you know a master plan to take a um, a one eighty turn on any of this. But what I what I would like to to finish with um, one to reiterate: uh, I'm not the role model, so let's just rem <laughs> remember that this is not a guide on how to run a business. Um, but the, the the second thing is to really say some thank yous. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to, to to have an episode with a bit of a retrospective was to say, you know, a big thank you to the clients who, for some of them, took a leap of faith and 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 retained me to do uh, work to contribute to projects and to run large scale things that you know maybe someone else would not have done. So that thank you so much. I want to thank all the coaches I've worked with who've, uh, you know whose light bulb moments or whose hard work and positivity, they've been really inspiring. And, and that's why I keep coming back to doing this stuff and to thank um, the, the colleagues I work with, to thank you, Pilar. This has been great fun doing this. Um, and I would only keep doing it if it was fun. Yes. So thank you. It's been really enjoyable. And I've learned a lot from the colleagues that I've worked with. It is a team effort. So um, it's useful to appreciate and be grateful. So I am very grateful. Well, I'm going to, before I hand back to you to wrap up, just a big hug over Skype. Richard, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and listeners, thank you for, uh, for being here with us. Thank you, everyone who's listened. We're at the end of another episode. This has been episode 46. So by way of reminder, we are getting closer to episode number 50. We're all about celebrating landmarks here. So what I'd like uh, from anyone who's listened over the last while is to get in touch with your thoughts on what you've taken away from any of the episodes. Maybe you've listened to one, maybe you've listened to them all. What is it you've taken away? What have you put into practice? How has it helped you? Or what could we do more of that you're particularly interested in? 
If you tweet us, it's at mypocketpsych, and you can use the hashtag MPP50. That will help us locate it. Uh, or send us a really longer message uh, via the contact form, which is at worklifepsych.com forward slash contact. We would really, really love to hear from you. We always enjoy uh, getting the feedback and the ideas and just hearing from people that we know are listening in. So as ever, thank you for listening. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.